We're going to get you with that vaccine, Abel Kirby. <laughs> April 7, 2021. This is Rare Encounter, Encounter number 39. And the Pablo Escobar of Jankum, I'm Abel Kirby. And full diving into our VR porn future, I'm Cold Acid. Oh boy, I'm still trying to figure out who the Pablo Escobar of Jankum is besides me, because that's what I said. I guess he's I don't like the, even want to the think. crazy I don't even Colombian. want to consider it. <laughs> uh, that's a good line. That's a good line. I had to use it. Who the hell would corner the market in fermented shit anyways? Ah, you know, there's a lot of people into a lot of weird things, and I don't want to yuck any yums. Someone's going to buy it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and the question is whether they're from Japan or Germany. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. Well, we had a couple celebrations today. Before we uh, we get off uh, too far, uh, I wanted to bring Maybe. up just just we were lamenting some weeks ago. You know the uh, the the poor number of holidays that we got this year. I mean, we got St. Patrick's Day, and uh, I think we got one or two other ones. But you know, the roll the roll of the dice left Wednesdays without a lot of uh, without a lot of you know solid holidays to get on board with. So I went out and I found out the stuff that was happening today, uh, just so we could celebrate. In in case you were wondering. Uh, we have four uh, days, quote-unquote days, that we're celebrating today. Count them. Yeah. The first one is National Beer Day. Woohoo! Woohoo! Uh, we also have World Health Day. And so if you're the world, it's your day to be healthy, I suppose. Uh, we have National No Housework Day, which I'm all That's about. That's me every That's day. every day. And then, of course, the best one is today, April 7, 2021, the year of our Lord, is... International Beaver Day. Now, that is my favorite, too, of course, because I'm Canadian. And up here in Canada, we are all about the beaver. And, I, <laughs> and I'm not sure about the beer, but I did get uh, to celebrate National uh, International Beaver Day. I, uh, I'm not sure what the traditional way to celebrate that is, but uh, today I'm celebrating with Irish whiskey, which I got a little bottle of here. Pour in my... Yeah, so you don't have beer, but I don't have beer either. Yeah. Well, who needs beer when you got a beaver? What'd you get? I heard the pop. Jarritos. Jarritos. Mexican soda. The gift that keeps on oh, giving. Yeah. I love this shit. <laughs> Strawberry flavor today. Oh, does it go well with burrito? I think they all go well with burritos. The super sweet soda and the uh, the super greasy burrito? The burrito wasn't all that greasy. Mm. That's how I judge a burrito. If it holds together, you're doing it wrong. It's going to be, like, real sloppy. In no, the, it's got to hold together. In, uh, <clears throat> well, the other way that you get it served in, uh, uh, if you go to the right restaurant, is you get a smothered burrito, or you get the burrito, where they just kind of put it on a plate and they pour uh, sauce over it. You get a nice sloppy, yeah, carb lanes. It's a sloppy burrito. Goes well with your beaver. Ah, speaking of uh, burritos and beavers... <clears throat> For Good Friday, I had fish tacos. <laughs> well, that's a segue. Uh, yeah, it was Good Friday, wasn't it? Um, yeah. It, it was pretty good for me. I didn't have to go to work. Yeah? Likewise, on Monday, I didn't have to go to work either. Four-day-long weekend. Fuck yeah! <laughs> yeah, and of course, we had Easter um, uh, Sunday after Good Friday, which was the fourth. And I believe we put uh, a note in 
maybe two or three shows ago. Maybe I said it after the show. Um, I think there was a U2 lyric that specifically remem- uh, mentioned Sunday morning, April 4. And I always I always thought it, that he was discussing Easter in the lyric. And uh, th- I don't know why. I've always had that impression. And then, then of course, finally, we have uh, an Easter that is on Sunday morning, April 4. And so I, I, th- I listened to that song. <laughs> and... Uh, I should have uh, I should have put it on the stream I guess but it's, it's just fun one of those you little confluences. Put in your notes. Well, it's just I'm riffing today. Now man. I'm wondering what what song is it? Oh, it's off the Joshua Tree. Um, you know Fletcher would know the name of it. I think it was was it Bullet the Blue Sky? Now nah, I mean, you're making me look it up, man. This is great show well, material. Well, you should have put it in your notes. Neener yeah. neener. I don't know. I don't remember what it is. I'm not going to look it up right now. But it is a U2 song off that album. Uh, Pride, I'm getting from Fletcher. He says it was Pride. In the name of the... Oh, yeah, that was it. Yep. That one? Yeah. yeah. Okay. It, I, it's the uh, the name gets me because it's, I think, of In the Name of Love, but I think the, the proper name is Pride. Yeah, but the name of the song is Pride. Yeah. It's, you know, if you listen to it on MP3 all the time, maybe you have those titles right up in your face, but if you listen to it on CD... You need one of those special players to tell you the uh, the track title as it spins by. Yeah, it was a, uh, according to Fletcher, the trivia is uh, it was about the MLK Jr. shooting. Well, I did not know that. They have a lot of songs about uh, about depressing moments in history. Mm. In Sunday Bloody Sunday, there's another one where it's like where it's like one of the fights in uh, Ireland where a bunch of people got killed. Yep. Yeah, there's all kinds of. I've been digging into their uh, to their albums, and I heard a couple. Uh, um, all that you can't leave behind was one of the albums. I kind of knew some of the songs on it, but I never listened to that whole album before. And I got a copy of it the other day. Man, I'm I'm into this. Um, I never thought I would be that this into YouTube, but it is a damn good album. It's really good. Um, it's just the guitar work on some of these songs is just inspiring to listen to. Um, I think Kite, like, it's just the edge when he plays on, uh, like, he's just playing slide guitar, and he's really playing, like, three or four notes total. Uh, he's not doing it a lot, but, he, but the way he uh, gets the texture in and the background of the song, you know, it just makes it work at a really cool, re- really cool level. So I've been yeah. a U2 appreciator lately. So what have you been up? What, what kind of music have you been listening to, by the way, since we're talking about music? I don't know what you really like to listen to. Well, lately I've been listening to a lot of just chill wave while I'm working. Mm. But uh, normally, I mean, I've got a lot of alternative rock from the 90s. I got uh, Toad the Wet Sprocket. Ah, I got uh, Fear. I like Fear. Yeah, there's their best album, I think. Got some Headstones. They're a good Canadian rock band. Tragically Hip, of course, because, yes, again, I'm Canadian. (laughs) I've got some uh, I've got some older uh rock and metal stuff as well. I actually have uh I actually have the uh, deluxe uh remaster editions of Led Zeppelin 1 through 4 which I'll play every so often when I'm really feeling like it. Oh yeah. Those I are... actually have I actually have an MP3 of the infamous killer whale tank version of New Orleans is sinking by a the tragically hip as well. <laughs> uh, so I think Carplanes was asking about that in the chat. Yeah, yeah. So if you don't know, uh, you can log on to uh, 
onto our chat. Uh, we're on IRC. If you go to rareencounter.net, I believe there's a link to the IRC channel uh, right up in there. Um, and you can get the, the stream link, and you can listen to us live. Uh, we record, uh, you know, live to tape at 7 p.m. Eastern uh, every Wednesday. And we also have a link to the chat. You can get in the IRC room and join up and uh, and uh, yell at us in the middle of the show. And uh, sometimes we uh, sometimes we respond, and sometimes we just ignore y'all. But if you want to roll those dice and see if you can get my attention, go ahead. You're welcome. Come on in. Speaking of, yes. Speaking of uh, of the show details, yep. There's something I've meant to mention for the past couple of weeks, but keep forgetting, and that is we are now on the V for V train. Yay. Yay. There we go. Yeah. I gotta turn it up, that's all. Yeah, you gotta turn that up. Damn. Yay. Your yeah. soundboard's quiet today. Yeah, I had the fader down. But yeah, so we're now accepting we're now accepting value for value. If you actually find any value out of our show, well, first of all, what the hell's wrong with you? Second of all, send us your Bitcoin or send us your cash through PayPal. We got uh, we got links up there on the Rare Encounter website for you to send your value back to us. Oh uh, yeah. So if you like the show at all, um, you can go and do that. You know, we, of course, anything helps. Uh, whatever you think is worth to you. You know, it's uh, and, and I'm a fan of this model uh, that's been out there for a while. You know, the Adam Curry, uh, John C. Dvorak, uh, uh, value for value system, where you just say, hey, you know, if it's worth something to you, you know, send us some value back. Yep. So I'm glad it's it, a great system. It took us long enough to get that up there, but yeah, that's it. It's fun. Um, we got a couple topics. We don't have a ton of stuff, but I had a, a little bit of Baltimore news that might be interesting. Uh oh. Yeah. What exploded this time? Oh, it wasn't an explosion yet. Um, it was um, yet. It was an anti-drone system um, that they they're installing at Camden Yards, and and uh, Camden Yards is where the Orioles play, uh, the baseball team, and it's right next. Uh, you know, I think they even share a parking lot with the uh, uh, the M It's the I think it's the M and T Stadium is what it's called, and that's where the Ravens play, the Baltimore Ravens play, and they had some problems. Uh, that it, it, I didn't see this live or anything like that, but I heard about it, where they had people trying to fly drones over the stadiums. Uh, while they're playing games, and they actually had uh, us in the news, you know, in the reporting, they bring up all these cases of um, different sports events where they had people trying to fly drones. One of the favorite ones that I saw uh, in the the promotional video for the anti-drone technology was a hot air balloon festival. Uh, I think it was in New Mexico, where they they said, yeah, you know, if people fly their drones up, they're stupid. You know, they think they're uh, they're going to get some nice sweet shots of zoom in between the balloons. But meanwhile, <laughs> what they really have are uh, four spinning knives on the uh, on the four corners of these drones, and they're flying them in between these uh, balloons, which are really just a thin uh, fabric. I've seen some where they have the uh, where they have the props actually caged in, so they won't actually be spinning blades of death on the thing. But you know what I'm thinking? You know what I'm thinking? Somebody flying drones over Camden Yards. If that's a problem, lower the ticket prices. <laughs> lower I mean, the ticket most prices. likely those people are trying are trying to watch the game without having to uh, pay an exorbitant ticket prices. Well, I think they. Mm, I, I should hold my tongue a little bit. I think they're broadcasting the game. The next game is going to be a um, uh, Red Sox and Orioles game. It's their home season. Uh, I'm sorry, the home opener for this season, and that's tomorrow. So I guess that's what I'm going to do tomorrow. See if I can pick it up over the air. 
uh, see if anyone's broadcasting it. And if not, fly a drone over the if stadium. If not, I will get my drone and I will fly it out there. Um, so the details, I got some deets on this anti-drone system, um, which I, I think it overlooked a little bit in the reporting. Um, I actually had to go and find the company that uh, that um, they contracted with, and then it turns out that's just a company that provides services. The actual hardware is made by a third company. And so uh, the deets are the um, company is called Aerial Armor, and they're what appears to be a... Um, what they call a value add service. So that what they do is they sell the equipment, but they also do you know training and and support and everything on top of it. And they do the actual installation. And so they signed an eighteen thousand dollar contract. Um, eighteen thousand. Eighteen thousand dollar for a one year support. And it looks like what the contract entails is they installed one uh, radar array somewhere at Camden Yards. And I'm really tempted because I know what this thing looks like now. Um, I need to get a pair of binoculars <laughs> and get out into Baltimore again and, and uh, walk around because they, they've got to put it up high and it has to have line of sight. So, it, you know, it has to be visible. It can't be hidden anywhere. And so I want to go out there and find out where it is. It's got to be on top of a post on top of the uh, one of these buildings nearby. And uh, so I want to spot it and take a picture uh, if I can. But the uh, the radar that they use is a electronically scanned array and it operates an S-band. And so I, I think the actual... Band is it's kind of like the three gigahertz range. So it's, as far as I think of it as a little bit of a lower frequency for for radar application, but it's I don't know it's uh, for what they're doing is probably uh, normal. Um, the uh, the system looks kind of cool. It it has kind of like a single unit which has the array inside. It has all the receiver and the the beam steering equipment is all kind of neatly packaged up in a, a little white dome. Um, so you don't have you know, when I think of a radar, I think of, well, there's instrument ca instrumentation cables everywhere, and you got all these, uh, you you basically need a bunch of trained operators to put it together correctly and everything. And it looks like they, they really packaged this up in uh, in about as about as clean of a way as you could. And so the ideal for, for you know, RF systems, the, the thing that everyone always wants is, well, it should have an antenna on one side, and then, you know, the output port should just be an Ethernet connection. <laughs> And maybe <laughs> maybe it, you put 12 volts in and then it works. You know, that's the idea. No one's ever really gotten it like that. But it seems like the, these guys seem pretty close where they have everything's packaged up. This, Like I said, this ni nice little package. They put it up on a pole. And then they have a software license. Um, so it, it, one of the things that the contract also has is they have a one-year license to use the proprietary software, which lets them talk to the radar and, and plot tracks over, you know, a Google map of the, uh, of the area and log tracks to a database and, and uh, uh, set up zone alarms and things like that where you say, oh, well, you know, someone got flew over this region and triggered uh, alarm number one or something, and over this region it's alarm number two. You know, that kind so of is stuff. Is this just... Is this just detection then? Yes. I'm not hearing anything really anti-drone. No, um, those aren't really happening in America, but they have them in Australia, from what I hear. Um, the, um, you know, you really can't do jamming um, in the U.S. It, and that would be the kind of thing that they try. So the the approaches. Oh, I've I wasn't of are, thinking about jamming. I was thinking about like. <clears throat> kinetic or directed energy weapon to <laughs> no. shoot the damn things down no um well first you don't shoot guns in the air 
um, and you don't over a city fire any kind of kinetic thing uh, because even if you hit the target, you know, it might fall on someone. It comes back pl down, yeah. Plausibly, it's going to land on the freeway and kill someone. So you, that's out of the question. Um, the second approach that they're I've seen still, is... They're still directed energy weapons. It's You still are dropping the drone on someone. And so when these drones fall on top of cars, they can kill people. Um, and With enough energy concentrated <laughs> well enough, you can just disintegrate the thing. It'll turn into a little puff of smoke, I think. Um, the directed energy yeah. weapons, I don't think they vaporize metal. I think they, uh, they burn out some of the sensors on it is what they really do. Um... Well, then they're not using enough power. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, well, uh, maybe one day we'll get there. We'll have a laser cannon. Um, I'm the, looking forward to it. I can't I can't wait to own one myself. <laughs> the, one of the concepts I saw that I kind of liked, um, I don't think anyone's ever fielded this, that, I, that I've heard of anyway, but it's the uh, interceptor drone. So it's basically a bigger drone that has a net cannon on it. And so the bigger drone flies up next to it. It shoots a net at the other drone, it, which captures it and, you know, zips it up in a bag. And then it, um, it flies back with it. You know, it tows it back like, um, like those... <laughs> You know what? It's like it's like those in Mega Man. Was it Mega Man X where you had those robots that would just grab you? <laughs> they try and fly I'm actually you away. thinking more like I'm thinking more like BattleBots, but in the yeah, air. like BattleBots in the air. You know, they had something like that. Um, I don't think that's ever been fielded. The jamming though is what they do in Australia. Um, at least one of the companies I saw down there. I, I did some a little research on this a little while ago, and they had a. Um, it was basically. A, a high gain antenna with you know they're broadcasting broadband it's like a barrage jammer and they gussied it up so it looked like a gun but you know it's an antenna with a sig gen you know built next to it and so they said oh well you can point it at the drone and it uh and it'll um it will jam communications with whatever base station is controlling it and what usually happens with these drones is when they lose communication they either stop doing what they're doing or they float up or they'll or they'll um, start drifting they'll, they'll they have some backup thing where they they they'll stop doing whatever they're doing and just kind of sit there until they reestablish a link um, but what it doesn't stop with jamming is it doesn't stop a, a drone that's already been programmed to fly somewhere you know so if you pre-plan the route then the jamming don't do anything yeah but anyway uh, they for one reason or another, uh, maybe it has something to do with we don't want airplanes and falling out of the sky, and we have too many things that rely on uh, being able to wirelessly communicate. Um, they're they're not uh, letting people do jamming in uh, the continental U.S. the way they they uh, they let them do it in the Australian outback, I guess. Oh well. Yeah. And all while this is maybe going later on, later they will. Yeah. All while this is going, we had a spotting of Mayor Scott uh, Brandon. At a new restaurant, yeah. we had a we had a new restaurant opened up in in town. Ooh, um, new restaurant! And the uh, I think it was called Half Smoke was the name of the restaurant, and it's a reference to the um, what I didn't realize. I'm sure I'm going to get smacked for not knowing this, but like I moved to this area uh, just a little little over a year ago. And it turns out the Half Smoke sausage is sort of the the DC area signature food. You know, in in D.C., I would think, like, fully smoked sausage would be the thing. <laughs> yeah, I... Along with, along with maybe, maybe like, uh, dress-shaped uh, dress cakes or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's. I think I've had one of these, and I just didn't know what it was. 
Um, and it's it's like a uh, a sausage that uh, you buy at a street vendor, and it's got a you know kind of normal stuff on it. And I think the deal is that they uh, they uh, smoke it, I guess, instead of grilling it. I don't know. So it's in the smoker. <laughs> Get your half smoke. I guess uh, I guess the smoker's full smoke though. So I don't know. Yeah, the, the smoker's full of smoke. <laughs> the best kind of smoke too. Yeah. Well, Huck Story had their uh, episode uh, called Margot. Margot, I suppose. Not Margot. 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 There we go. Um, I didn't. I was listening to that episode today. I didn't get to the point where they said where the name was from. Uh, uh, that was on uh, four six. So that was just posted the other day. They recorded on Monday, I think. Um, I saw the call. Yeah, I, I missed didn't the episode. It, it, it's rare, but I missed uh, the episode. Oh yeah, we had a Hog Story uh, number one seventy two. Also, we had uh, Grumpy Old Ben's earlier on Monday. That was episode 149. Get over it. Or I guess you could read it as get over IT. Either works. Yeah. Get over IT. Yeah, that was fun. I hear that they're going to have a special guest on episode 150. Yeah, it seems that way. Um, So I haven't heard if they're doing an episode on... um, Usually they do Monday, Friday, right? Yeah. Are they... So... Let's see. What episode was that? So it was 149. So that when you say episode 150, that means there's no Grumpy Old Ben's Friday, right? Or is it 151 with their special guest? I think it's supposed to be 150 with their special guest. All right. No show Friday then, it sounds like. Um, so we can look forward to Grumpy Old Ben's will be on um, after the No Agenda pre-recorded show on Sunday. And so I'm not sure exactly what the time is because I don't know how it's going to play out. But uh, You mean Thursday, don't you? Oh, shit, it's Thursday. Wait a minute. I thought they were doing it on Sunday. I'm not sure. I, I'm, I'm absolutely... Ah, someone has to, someone has to weigh this. in. The, I, this, weekend, this weekend is like screwed up my calendar, too. So <laughs> if Darren O is out there, he, he knows. Wow. He just needs to tell us. Yeah, I heard him talk about it. Some, some, someone some in the chat room, go, go nag Darren for us. Yeah. Well, anyway, they're they're coming up. It might be Thursday. It might be uh, Sunday. Uh, for some reason, I thought he said it was Sunday. So that's what I thought. Um, yeah, but you're forgetting. There's two Sundays in the week in yeah. this crowd. <laughs> uh, maybe I misheard it. Um, actually, coming up next after our show, uh, we've got. Uh, did you see Abs in a Sick Pack is interviewing uh, someone after our show? No, I didn't. Yeah, coming up at uh, eight o'clock, we've got Abs in a Six Pack with Mo Facts. That's going to be interesting. Indeed. So I'm looking forward to that. We'll uh, we'll see if we can pitch over to uh, if they're still streaming on Twitch. Last uh, last week I mirrored mo- uh, abs in a six pack on our stream, so we might do that again. I don't know. We'll see. Now, now the thing that I'm thinking of is like Mo seems pretty much a straight up guy, but with abs in a six pack, with how weird that show can get <laughs> i'm i'm just wondering like does mo know what he's getting into i hope he does <laughs> i i i don't think mo's gonna be bamboozled or uh i think when he when no, he shows up I mean, he's gonna like, handle it, whatever it, happens he'll handle it well i'm sure yeah it's just that like <clears throat> with what i've heard with abs in a six-pack it'd be like having mo on that show would be like us having larry blydener on ours well, I don't think that's such a bad idea. I, I, I think I think we're a little too I think we're a little too bent for for Larry though. Yeah, well, that I won't put words in his mouth, and uh, I ask you not to do that too. He hasn't said no. 
That's true. He hasn't said no. And so I'm not going to well, presume if he, he will. If he goes on, if he goes on uh, Hog Story, then he would definitely come on our show. <laughs> You've got to, um, you know, you, you can't always try and keep people in boxes. You know, you don't know who are gonna who is going to come on our show. I mean, that's how Chris runs abs in a six pack. He was talking a little while about how he does his bookings. He just he doesn't care. He doesn't like the way you said. Well, Larry wouldn't be on our show. He doesn't think that at all. Chris goes out and he says. I don't know. I want, to, I want to interview anyone I can, and he he he's he does the shotgun thing, and he he's, that's why he's pulled a lot of good interviews. Is he's a uh, that's he's true. A, it's just just on the scattergun pretty, effect. It's just a pretty weird show at times. Oh, I think it's fun. He's done some really good ones. It is fun. I'm not saying it's not fun. No, it's def- it's definitely a fun show to listen to. Uh, yeah, and so and that'll be coming up after uh, after our show at uh, eight, and then of course at eleven we have Nick the Rat. He'll be coming on uh, on the Dark Sewer Network, and he's talking about exposing. And I don't know what he's himself? exposing. He's exposing something. Something will be exposed on Nick the Rat. If you want to uh, find out, you gotta tune in. I hope he doesn't get kicked I'd say off he'd expo- I'd say he'd expose. Oh, Zin, except that Zin already does that himself. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Yay! What do we got for topics? You got a topic for me? Oh, yeah, I got some topics. Yeah, hit me. So, you know how with uh, with Windows 10, uh, you can't run the old 16-bit apps from the good old days of the early 90s? Uh, yeah, they killed a lot of compatibility uh, after a while. I remember, yeah, I've noticed. Wrong! Wrong. 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 Uh, Wrong. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you can run, you can run 16-bit apps on 64-bit Windows. You just need to have the right bit of software on your computer first. Okay. So this guy, this guy some time ago, he took, he took the, like, you know about the Wine Project, right? Yeah. Windows, Wine is not an emulator, so you could run, yeah, so you could run Windows apps on Linux and other Unix systems. So anyway, it, it had a virtual DOS machine system of its own so that it could run DOS applications. Mm hmm. And so one one clever guy he took the he took the virtual DOS machine from Wine, and he glued in the uh, three eighty six emulation from Mame into it. Okay. And then set and then set up the hooks that uh, that the NTVDM that came with thirty two bit editions of Windows into into the mix, and so now. Now there is a actual functional virtual DOS machine for 64-bit Windows. So you Frankenstein together from a bunch of a bunch of old pieces of software. Oh, I like it. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. So it was really neat. I I actually I have actually run like 16-bit games on on this computer thanks to it. And and to be completely correct here, um the software that that you're saying you need to have on your system to run this, you, you're characterizing this as um, sort of an extra system component of Windows, not like a, an emulator or something like that. Well, obviously, Wine is Correct. not an emulator. Okay, and and so that's why you say Windows 10 is running it, not this. Not, it's not some other piece of software. Well, when you look natively at the Windows process, 10 don't do it, right? Yeah. When you look at the task manager, you see the you see the VDM process instead of the actual 16-bit windows executable 
Okay. But for my understanding is it will actually it will actually like emulate using the 386 emulation code from MAME in order to in order to work with 64-bit processors. And and so what kind of um what kind of software would I want to run on this for example? Can I run Jill of the Jungle? If it if it runs on 16-bit Windows, the goal is to make sure that it'll run through this uh this system called OTVDM. OTVDM for all your 16-bit Windows compatibility needs. Have you used it? Yeah. I Like I said, I have it installed. I've played games with it on oh, here. Oh, yeah? So you got, like, all those old sh- Strip Majan games. No, no, actually not those, <laughs> but a number... Like the, you remember, you remember how there were those game packs from Microsoft for Windows three point one. Oh yeah, they had. The, you know, are you talking about the one with like Chips Challenge and the? Uh, yeah, yeah, with jazz all of those. Ball. I have that. In, I have that installed. I can play those games all I want. I even actually played the old Solitaire and Minesweeper from oh, Window from Windows three point one as well, just because I can. There was. Uh, this is back when Solitaire, um, the random number generator it started with was uh, dependent on the, the time the application was opened. And so if you open two or three copies of Solitaire within a second of each other, um, which you could do with like a batch file, bat file or something like that, then they would all have the same stack of cards. Or if, I guess if you have three versions of the software and you can reshuffle the deck, start a new game within, within a second, you get two parallel windows that have the same stack of uh, cards. And so that was uh, something you could do. If you wanted to know what the next card was, um, you could have kind of like your cheater window to find out what's in the deck, and then you could play the perfect game on the other window. Now, let's be honest, Solitaire is a one-player game, so you're cheating against yourself. But it is it yeah, you, a little fun trick you Yeah, you're playing yourself if you do something like that. At some point, and you get thing is, so bored with Solitaire. <laughs> even, if you, even if you do that, there's no guarantee that... Uh, that you'll even get a winnable hand. They're actually, in, I think there's actually more more combinations of the deck that are completely unwinnable than there are winnable ones. Yeah, um, that's true. Uh, I I worked on that once. Um, so that's the first question: is how many decks are actually winnable? Um, but then there's another question, which is the one that we were we were chatting about, which was uh, it, it was me and, and someone else, you know, I don't know, a decade ago, which was if I have a, um, you know, the ideal strategy where I uh, make the perfect, uh, perfect, uh, you know, best uh, statistically the best decision f- with all the information I have at the time, um, there's actually a fewer number of hands that you can win that way. Um, and so some yeah. of those some of those hands where you could win, but you'd actually have to make some really dumb moves. <laughs> like you'd have to make some improbable uh, 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 bad moves to uh, to actually win some of those hands too. So it's even worse than that, you know. It's uh, you yeah, know what? it's a very it's a very pessimist game. That's why you need to play free cell. You remember free cell? I do. I yeah. fucking love free cell. You know the thing about free cell is. Um, well, last I heard, it was thought that every single hand that you can be dealt in free cell, there, it's possible to win. It doesn't have... The, well, I don't think anyone's mathematically proved it, but uh, at, at least last I looked, maybe someone has by now. No, actually, actually, it was even known 
um, back in the Win32S days when the 32-bit free cell for Windows 3.1 was out, that there are there are actually unwinnable deals in the uh, in the collection that you can go through because you know how each of them in FreeCell there's there's like a different seed value when using the Windows FreeCell app. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. There's something like three or four where where they're not winnable at all, hmm. no matter what. Really, I I so wasn't with aware that, of that. I mean, with that we've we've proven that there are unwinnable hands of free sell. Hmm. Now, if you had a fifth, if you had a fifth spare spot, <laughs> that would be, that would be different. And those ones that could not be one with regular free sell could be one in that case. Oh, the joys of those cards. I remember, I remember like it was, it might've been 10 or even more years ago, I actually wrote a blog post complaining about Solitaire being a bad game because, <laughs> well, Klondike being a bad game because there are so many situations where, without your fault, you could, just can't win the game. Hmm. Isn't that kind and of that, that that makes it that makes it a bad game? Because, in my view, at least at the time, is that for a game to be good, any failure conditions have to be a result of the user's own actions. Hmm. You know, which is not the case in Klondike because again, just because of how the deck might be initialized, you just can't win. Yeah, you might get that uh you might get that nine stuck under a card and there's no way to get it out. There's no plausible way to get it out. The um I don't know. There's kind of an allegory for uh, for life, if you think about it. You know, there's just some hands you can't win, no matter what. And that's why you got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. So on and so know forth. Know when to walk away. Know when to run. Indeed. You know that was a uh, a song where the homeless guy dies in the middle of the song. Have you ever heard someone <laughs> point that out? No. It's a uh, yeah, because that's what it, the the guy oh who says God. that. Yeah, because he remember the the lyrics for the song. He starts on a train. He's on a train. I think he's on a train bound for nowhere. And uh, honestly, I just I just know those four lines of the song. No, so let me tell you the story. He's on a train bound for nowhere, and uh, he sees a like a hobo riding on the train with him. And uh, he says, "Well, you know, I got some whiskey, and I'll if if you give me a sip of your whiskey, then I'll uh, I'll uh, give you some advice." And so he pulls out his bottle, his bottle of whiskey, kind of like the one I have now. Mm. I know I poured. I know I poured some in my glass earlier, but I, I'm drinking out of the bottle. Uh, but then he uh, he he goes back and forth. The advice he gives him is, "You gotta know when to hold them, know when to fold them, and so on and so forth." And I think in the yeah. second verse of the song, the old man, the the hobo dies. And, oh uh, God! Yeah, huh. it, it's kind of understated in it, but he says it in the lyrics. He says, "Yeah, it is." Uh, I don't know. That's it. It's one of those songs. What was the That's... other one? Uh, oh, geez. What was that one from, uh, was it from the 70s or 80s about the cannibalism? Uh, it was by the Buoys. Cannibalism? It, yeah. Um, was it Timothy by the Buoys? I'm trying to remember I if that was know. it. Yeah, where, uh, what happened to it where they're, uh, ah, it was a song. I, I'll play it on the pre-stream next time. I have to pull it up. But no, it's, uh, 
you find out there was a cave in and they're singing, yeah, we can't find him. We can't know what happened to him. What happened to him? And then in the final verse of the song, it's revealed that uh, they were just really hungry and they had to eat him. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It was the song of cannibalism. Yeah, it was Radiohead, actually. I think it was the Bowie's did that song. Oh, boy. That's so weird. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a um, tiny bit of uh, anime going on in my neck of the woods. Just a little bit. Yeah, I watched me with it. Yeah, I, I uh, watched an old Gynex movie, actually the first Gynex movie. It was Royal Space Force, is the English title. Or Wings it's of... an amazing film. Oh, yeah. I watched the dub, too, but I, I didn't clip anything because there's no wacky parts of it, you know? It's kind of serious. No, it's and... not that kind of movie. No, and I saw it, I probably saw it when I was 14 or something like that, and, you know, I, I don't think I got it back then. Um, when you, just watching it now, you know, uh, in my 30s, it's, oh, wow, I get the movie. You know, it's it makes so much more sense. Everything uh, everything that's happening seems to mean a little bit more. It's just like, you can't understand it when you're a teenager. But, uh, uh just... I felt like I understood it. Then again, I was already past my teenage years when I watched it the first time, so mm. I'm talking out of my ass here. Mm. They had, um, just so for people who don't know, I'll do my bad, since as everyone knows, we're bad at summarizing. Um, the uh, It's kind of a fictional um, Cold War kind of era um, where there's, uh, there's, a, there's a desire to have manned spaceflight in this uh, you know, it, like I said, it's sort of like a fictionalized version of the uh, the Cold War era, and the uh, sort of the the losers of the pilots, the people who wanted to be Navy or or, or Air Force pilots, they say, "Oh, I want to fly jets. We're gonna, you know, do some crazy stuff." You know, they couldn't quite make it, and they were kind of the dropouts and the the mediocre um, uh, ranking people. They couldn't really fly in combat or fly in anything. And they got put inside. They, they were the ones who got sent to the Space Force program. And so they're actually in a group called the Space Force. And the, the thing about their job is they just sit around and they don't do anything all day because the um, there's no manned space flight. You know, no one's built a rocket yet. No one has actually has succeeded in doing anything. So there's it's the crew of pilots who have nothing to fly. And they're sort of the butt of all these jokes because of it. And they're not well thought of. Uh, and uh, they do, I think it starts, the first scene, just to give you some idea of how the, uh, of what their situation is, They the first scene, I think after the credits, is it starts on a funeral, and it's a funeral for one of their comrades who uh, who died off screen, you know, right before the movie started. They say, oh, well, how'd he go? He goes, well, his urine bag popped and the spacesuit electrocuted him <laughs> in the... Uh, and he, and he died in some test, you know, that, that they were doing on him. I said, wow, shit, what a way to go. And so that's the expectation that they have is, is uh, you know, keep your head down and don't do anything. Don't get picked for any test and uh, certainly don't volunteer for anything because uh, that's, that's what's going to happen is you're just going to die like that. The unthinkable happens and the, uh, the cadet, the hero here, uh, decides he's going to... He gets in, he gets inspired after uh, he sees a girl who's professing uh, a religion out in public. I don't know. He he falls for any in in a I don't know maybe a moment of weakness or something. He volunteers to to pilot their rocket, and so it's just the the rise of that program and and whether it'll make it to space or whether it just blow up. You know, and, and it's a it's a great movie. 
And since I'm poor at summarizing, I'll have to leave it there. But I would recommend. Um, the English dub was great it's, too, by the way. It is a real, yeah, it is a really great movie that, uh, well, everyone should see. Yep, uh, and that was Royal Space Force. It's also called um, Wings of Hanimese, I think. If uh, Hanimese, Hanimese, yeah, and so what we call it is Wings of Honey Mayonnaise. Well, you do. Yeah, that's the old way. I've heard a lot of people called it that back when it came out. I remember that Wings of Honey Mayonnaise. How old were you when it came out? Come on, when it first appeared on a torrent site. <laughs> when it came, I don't know when it came out. It must have came out in the early 90s. Uh, no, it came out in uh, 1987. Oh, geez, yeah, so it must have been before Nadia then. Was that before Nadia? I think Nadia was it was like 89 or something. I'd have to I'd have to check, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh... Uh, well, that was one we've talked about here, The Secret of Blue Water. Uh, looks like that yeah, was Nadia, that was 1991. Yeah. You know what I've heard about that one? A Secret of Blue Water is supposed to have a particularly good French dub. Yeah? Yeah, because it's... Not, took... that, not that that would mean anything to me. It, it might to Sir Matthew, but uh, I can't speak the French. Yeah, apparently it had um, some airplay in French-speaking TV, on French-speaking TV stations, because, um, if you remember from uh, Nadia, The Secret of Blue Water, the, the main character, Jeanne... Um, or Gene, actually. What was his name? Uh, I think it was Gene, yeah. Had, um, he was from Paris. That's where the it starts, and so it's kind of set at the World's Fair, and, and uh, they're running around the streets and everything. So the uh, it had that connection, and so they apparently put some money behind it and put a pretty good French dub together. It's, I'm sure it's better than the English dub, which I've heard, and is not that great. No, most English dubs I don't think are very good at all, honestly. Yeah. But we, we've had this talk before. Mm-hmm. I think some of them are just fine. You uh, doing anything on the anime tip? Were we talking about anime? No. Um, some of my shows only just uh, only just ended uh, over the weekend. Uh, but uh, and I haven't started watching anything new this season yet. I was actually having problems with uh, with getting some of the shows up because apparently, if you end a f a directory name with a period, then it causes all sorts of bullshit on Windows and with software running on Windows. Hmm. Except for software that is explicitly developed to use the long file name. Uh, well, not long file name, but the but the actual like object system paths instead of just regular file system paths. Yeah. So this is some weird thing where you have like a backslash, a couple of question marks, another backslash, and then the full file name in order to deal with it, which is, uh, which is a weird hack around how windows actually considers objects for files mm -hmm. in its so-called object oriented executive i think that the normal way uh, uh windows deals with people trying to make either dot file you know files where the file name is just a period or folders with periods and is when you try and make that it just doesn't let you or it renames it to get rid of the period the thing is explorer will do that mm -hmm. but not but not all programs do some programs will allow you to use all sorts of file names that are valid in 
NTFS, but aren't exactly valid for Win32, or, well, I should say, the Windows API. And this is one of those cases. You can have, like, when, when NTFS was developed, it was developed to be able to handle both Do well, DOS, Windows, OS2, and POSIX uh, compatibility. And so files didn't necessarily have to have a file name that works for Windows. If you had the OS2 subsystem running or the POSIX subsystem running, then you could have files on your on your drive that have names that would not be usable at all under Windows, so long as they're still usable in whichever subsystem you created them with. Now, we're way past those days. I think the OS2 subsystem was last seen in NT4, and while there have been various attempts at the POSIX subsystem over the years, I think Windows XP was the last version of Windows that actually had a POSIX subsystem that would actually work with it. And since then, it's been things like MSYS or SIGWIN or now the Windows or the Windows subsystem for Linux, which isn't actually a subsystem in the way that the POSIX or OS2 subsystems were back in the day. But in all this time, NTFS has always had the ability to use file names that aren't valid under the Windows API, under the Windows subsystem. And so, so you end up with some programs that might have been developed on, say, Linux and use Qt for operating for doing the GUI. And so they they try and check if the files if there's a valid POSIX file name, it'll allow it through even on Windows. And then you end up with files that you can't do anything with in the command prompt or with <laughs> yeah. Explorer. And you you and might have to get a special piece of software to like delete a dot directory or something like that, or to interact with. Actually, it at all. if you've got if you got seven zip installed and the seven zip file manager that is its general GUI, you can actually deal with those files in there. Also, a lot of a lot of the command line utilities in the command prompt itself, not in PowerShell, but the traditional Windows command prompt will accept the full object manager paths. And so that way I was able to actually delete this directory that I had created for one of the shows I was downloading where the show title ended in a period and I was <laughs> stupid enough to create the folder with that ending period. And so hopefully tonight I'll be able to watch the first episode of this show <laughs> because it shouldn't be confusing the fuck out of out of everything else on the system, including uh, including the media library software that I use, which is all .NET code and will only handle Windows API valid file names when running on Windows. So wouldn't you have sidestepped this if you had formatted everything with Refus? The REFS? The, uh, no. <laughs> it says the no. same problems? Actually, REFS is actually nowhere near... Even to this day, it's nowhere near the same level of compatibility as NTFS. There's still a lot of useful NTFS features 
that aren't available with uh, REFS. Not Re to mention... Refis. <laughs> refi yeah, Refis. call it Refis. Not to mention that Refis... <laughs> yeah. Not to mention that Refis does not have a number of things that are considered legacy, like NTFS's full character set support for file names. Hmm. That goes above and beyond what the Windows subsystem for NT does. Hmm. So the, let me ask you a serious question. Um, I was under the impression that NTFS wasn't completely documented by Microsoft, and they wouldn't tell anyone exactly how it worked. Is that correct, or correct. is it a misunderstanding? That is correct. So it's been reverse-engineered is basically what all the end implementations yeah. so, are. It's like Samba, you know? Yeah, they never so, told us what Samba or uh, SMB really does, so you have... Uh, reverse-engineered projects that try to figure out what well, the protocol Samba, is. Well, Samba is actually, is actually in a better situation than uh, NTFS because at least some SMB slash CFIS documentation has been released by Microsoft for interoperability, and they also released uh, private docs to Apple back in the day so that so that Mac OS could connect to SMB shares, etc. Yeah. With NTFS, it's had to been completely reverse engineered. There have been a few different projects for that too. The one that seems to have the most success these days is NTFS 3G, which is actually used by various different operating systems to provide NTFS file system support. There was another one back in the day for for Linux that would actually take the ntfs.sys device driver from Windows NT and run it on Linux. But, of course, for that to work, not only did it have to provide a compatibility layer for the low-level NT API, but it also had to... You had to be running on a system that was the same architecture that you got that copy of ntfs.sys from mm. which means that if you weren't running on a if you weren't running on like a x86 system back in the day you were pretty much stuck with what was available for windows nt 3.1 3.51 or nt4 based on which particular architecture you were using if I'm not mistaken, from Windows 2000 onwards, uh, Microsoft was no longer supporting any architectures other than x86 until later down the road when they brought in ARM support with all the bullshit that they've been going through since when they tried rolling out the original Surface tablets uh, yeah. that were running on ARM. When, when you say Microsoft wouldn't support, you mean installing Windows on a on a drive with that format, with that uh, file system on it. Not because obviously you could read like fat uh, formatted uh, drives as you plug no, them fat, in. Fat was fat was well documented and reverse engineered back in the eighties. Yeah. No, when I what I'm saying is the the processor architecture had to be the same, or you yep. wouldn't be able to use this particular this particular system because again how it worked was it simply ran everything through ntfs.sys and of course if you have a different processor architecture well that's just going to look like a whole bunch of shit rather than anything executable whole bunch of that that's what it looks like <laughs> yeah 
I'm I'm betting that uh, I'm betting that Ryan Bemrose is actually going to find this episode <laughs> far more interesting than any of our previous ones. Well, now he won't because you said it. He's going to say, "No, it sucked." Well, he was going to say that anyways. Uh, this know. is this is Bemrose we're talking yeah, about. Okay, I'll give he you that. He complains about everything. Yeah. Well, at least there's one podcast uh, where we're actually talking about uh, the details of uh, of file system implementations. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's one. There's one tech podcast out there that's actually talking tech. <laughs> actually, and we aren't even a tech podcast. We aren't even a tech. We're just podcast, nerds. Though. Yeah, I had. I need to get. Um, I'm going to be doing another show sub- coming up sometime soon, and before that, I need to get my um, Fourier optics uh, podcast published. And I don't know how I'm going to do it. I have to record it, but I start. I just have to record it. That's not going to be that hard. Um, what how do you think that i should release that should i i i think it's not right to put it on the rare encounter rss feed i'm gonna have to set up my own shit aren't i yeah because it because it's gonna be a different show yeah this is kind of leading into something that came up on podcasting 2.0 where they talked about um it was a comment. I think it was actually speaking of Mo facts. I think it was something Mo said to Adam. Then Adam repeated on the show, <laughs> and it was about oh, so the RSS feed. That's kind of my identity. That's me, and uh, you know I should be able to uh, you know just put anything I want. You know if I have if RSS feed is me, I can put my pictures up there, and it doesn't matter if you're going to send me value. You know whether whether I have a lot of stuff on there or not. Maybe I just have a QR code that points to the RSS feed and that has the information how to get how to get to my wallet. So it's like the RSS feed. Yeah. Yeah, that's my identity online and i was thinking about that um and i was also thinking about terrestrial tv because i was watching some some different channels and um they they have this concept with the atsc standard you know we used to be um you know analog television we went to digital which is so went from ntsc to atsc and we now have this idea of a subcarrier where you have the the sort of the main channel um, which might be uh, Fox or an ABC or an NBC. And then usually what they'll do is, and that'll be, say, it's Channel 2. It'll be Channel 2-1, you know, that's the main one. And then they'll have all the subcarrier channels. I've heard channels. about yeah. this sub-channel stuff, and none of it has actually ever clicked with me, to be honest. Uh, what do you mean, the, the, the concept of how they do it or what it is? The what it is and the why, even more so. It's like, well, it's like... You know, it, it's a solution in search of a problem. I think. I don't. I don't think so. Um, so what you have is a license um, to broadcast on a certain uh, station. So say you're licensed to broadcast on channel two, and if you were broadcasting an analog signal, um, you really can only broadcast one picture. When we went to digital TV, it became possible from the same transmitter to um, uh, to mux on. F- four or five so you could have your main channel which might be full hd and then you could also fit on um and and exactly how many you could fit depends on how if you're willing to have a reduced resolution for some of them um and and you could start putting on extra channels so now that one broadcast station can broadcast four maybe even five station four four or five channels on the same thing so what you can do is have a you know nbc and then you can have a subcarrier which just shows reruns of magnum pi or something um, and that's actually what they do is they have all their top tier programming like live sports and the nightly news and everything is on the main channel and then all the subcarrier uh all this uh you know the sub channels below that they'll put on um you know 
it's it's just old movies or it's you know uh, it won't be lifetime but it'll be kind of like those low rent rerun stations where all they really run is rerun so they do rerun and then they do an ad, pharmaceutical ad and then they do reruns and they do more ads and and so the the reason that they do it is because well they can sell more ads and it's better to run uh, if if you have one license, you know that's the thing that's valuable. That's what you have to bid against, and that's what you you really have to buy if you want to run a TV station. If you already have it, and you could broadcast more channels for free, which means you're also selling more ads, you know it's a no brainer. Um, for people at home, it's it's not such a bad thing because where you used to have twelve or thirteen channels, well, if all of those twelve or thirteen channels have four or five subcarriers, you just multiplied all the channels that you you can choose from. Um, now. Most of the new ones are reruns and kind of low-quality programming. Uh, but, you know, some people want to watch, um, uh, you know, Leave it to Beaver all day. I Dream so. a Genie. Uh, yeah, you know, stuff like that. Syndicated stuff, you know? I would watch I Dream of Genie all day. <laughs> uh, what was her name? Barbara Eden? Yes. Barbara Eden. Barbara Eden. Then you had... Uh, not, just because, not just because she was attractive, but because it was actually a genuinely funny show. <laughs> yeah. Was it Major Nelson and Major Edwards were the the two Air Force guys? Major right? Nelson, yeah. The the ever suffering base doctor. <laughs> I forgot his name, but it was always hilarious, just like Yeah, he's always an S. Just like the sort of crap that that all the antics would uh put him through. They used to have in Colorado I used to get a station, I think it was a Fox station or something. What they would do is the one of the subcarriers would be um NHK World, like the Japanese station. Unfortunately, NHK World is like the, you know, super crappy. It's like the tourism ad for Japan. It wasn't really yeah. NHK. I wish it was just NHK, like with all the, uh, or you know, with late night anime or something on it. That'd be fun. Yeah, no. that would be pretty cool. They also had FNX, no? which I used to watch. Oh, was I muted? Oh um, no! no they weren't muted. You you said no when I said that was pretty. That'd be pretty cool if they aired the real NHK. I I, I cut myself off. Sorry, uh, I didn't oh, mean to say no. Okay. Uh, they had the other carrier. I was trying to say was um, FNX, which was the Canadian uh, station. That was the First Nations experience. I used to watch that one a lot. Actually, uh, it was one of my go-to's because they always had interesting stuff. And Getting they down with the powwow. And they syndicated Amy Goodman. The War and Peace oh, Report. God. And so I could watch Amy Goodman on, on broadcast TV. Um, but why? Why would you? Well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, it, it's, bad enough, it's bad enough that we get those clips that uh, John brings to no agenda every week. So she does a lot of programming. Um, you know, her show has a lot of detail in it. And when you hear a clip on no agenda, it's like, here's six to 18 seconds of something stupid that she said. And it's kind of skimming over if there was anything actually interesting that was on the show. And, and you know, that's oh, the way no, clips are selected. There's more than that. It's it's that voice. I uh, never bothered me. Voice never now, bothered I, me. I'm one to talk. I'm one to talk about <laughs> that because, I mean, like, I sound like fucking Bill Gates. Bill Gates. With, uh, <laughs> with a helium attached. And you know a lot about Windows. I'm just saying. No. I, I'm... <laughs> Oh, boy. We're going to get you with that vaccine, Abel Kirby. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Do you got anything else you want to bring up here? 
Oh yeah, I, I've got something. I've got let's, something. Let's, let's get one more topic in before we uh, before we wrap let's this up. Let's get two more topics in because you you got to get to talk some too. Hey, well, you know, fine. Okay, do do yours first. All right. So, new study suggests large blobs of material in Earth mantle are remnants of protoplanet Thea. What? I'm putting the link in the in the chat room, <laughs> so we can do we can cold read this. Oh boy! So I'm going to start off with the first paragraph, and we'll just alternate between them. Uh. A team of scientists at Arizona State University has proposed that the large blobs of material in Earth's mantle, the large low shear velocity provinces (LLSVPs), may be leftover pieces of Thea a protoplanet theorized to have struck Earth, resulting in the creation of the Moon. The group argued their case at this year's Lunar and Planetary Science Conference and are awaiting publication in geophysical research letters. Most space scientists have come to believe that the Moon was created when another planet now called Theia collided with a very early Earth. Pieces of Earth, Theia, or both, that were flung into space during the collision eventually coalesced into the moon. Theories regarding what happened to the rest of Thea are still being argued. In this new effort, the team in Arizona suggests that much of Thea's mantle wound up in Earth's mantle. Hey, you got your mantle on my mantle. Forming what we now call uh, the large low shear velocity provinces, or as you said, LLSVPs. One beneath parts of the African continent, and one beneath the Pacific Ocean. Scientists have been studying the LLSVPs for many years. Their existence has been confirmed by studying seismic readings around the globe. When seismic waves run into the LLSVPs, they slow down, suggesting mm. the material they are made of is denser than the rest of the mantle. Yes. Almost as dense as me. The LLSVPs are very large and rest on the rim of the outer core. The team at ASU note that if Thea's mantle was denser than Earth's, any of it that made its way to the mantle would eventually work its way to the core. Mm. This sounds like a bi-static scattering of uh, seismic waves, which is a very interesting topic if you're into <laughs> wave propagation. Also, the fact that uh, the waves slowed down when, it, when they interact with this region is also quite interesting. Uh, I'm actually yeah. just more interested in the formation of the Earth and the role that Thea played in it. That's what really gets me interested about this and seeing that there, there are good signs that they have really did exist and that there are chunks of it that we can actually detect in the mantle because this seems like a really good explanation for the LLSVPs, which have been known about for years. So, so far, I'm trying to read just the facts out of this, and the facts are... Um, by measuring the bistatic scattering of seismic waves, they've determined that underneath Africa and underneath the Pacific Ocean, there is what's a, a so-called blob of material, which has a phase velocity. A couple of blobs. Well, they, they mentioned two. The LL, LLSVPs yeah, one are under, large. One under and, Africa and one under the Pacific. And they rest on the rim of the outer core. So, so what that means to me is that there's no ground-penetrating radar or anything that can reach these. Um, there's no direct way to observe them, obviously. We're not going to drill a hole that deep. And the only way that they're observing it is by watching um, 
probably natural seismic waves because I'm just guessing here to uh, to get something to propagate that far it might be uh, might take a lot more energy than you can generate just on the surface um, and so they say the LLSVPs are very large and rest on the rim of the outer core okay okay I'll read this uh, did you leave off on on this uh, third paragraph Two, three. So I'll, I'll read the fourth. So. I'll read the fourth just to, so we can wrap this up. To back up their ideas, the team at ASU built a model depicting Earth as it was approximately 4.5 billion years ago, and then showing what could have happened if there was a collision with a planet the size of Mars or larger. The model also assumed that the mantle of the theorized planet was rich in iron, making it extremely dense. In their model, Thea winds up mostly destroyed with pieces flung into space to create the moon and much of its mantle breaking into fragments, which make it all the way into the Earth's mantle. Over billions of years, the fragments merge, forming the LLSVPs. Hmm. Yeah. Now, it's long been thought that the, uh, the, uh, the sort of the molten parts of the Earth's core were iron um, in... And I think some of the reason for that was the, uh, or, or was molten iron. I, I'm trying to remember what the rationale for that was. I remember reading that in the uh, science book once. I can't remember the rationale or why yeah, they the, determined the that was true. Outer, the outer core is is molten iron, and the inner core is solid iron. Or liquid iron, you mean? No, no, the, the inner core is solid iron. And supposedly actually cooler than the outer core. So what I've read is that the is that the inner core is actually caused by cooler bits of uh, liquid iron in the outer core uh, falling to the, falling to the middle and in a sense freezing, and that mm. slowly the inner core is expanding as more and more of the inner core tends to cool down and eventually the idea is the entire core will become will become solid if the planet isn't completely destroyed by the sun when it expands to be larger than uh, than like an one astronomical unit in radius <laughs> Um, what, 1.3 to 2 billion years from now or something? Yeah, and, and uh, for people who don't know, the astronomical unit is the distance between the, the center of the sun and the, uh, the Earth here, so... One something AU. like 150 million kilometers, I believe. So you're saying the sun gets so big that it's uh, knocking on your door. Uh, let me close this yeah. up. The researchers note that the idea... Um, of these fragments making up the LLSVPs has been expressed before, but suggests their work is more comprehensive. All right. Well, you know that's interesting. Yeah. If they want to present that idea, it's up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely my sort of science. That's the sort of stuff I love reading about. The thing that always gets me is if you find the paper, and then um, especially if it's about waves or propagation, what I always do is I have to go and get the original data. <laughs> and fortunately, most of the time they publish it. Um, so you can go and look and, and find out, did they do good analysis or not, is the question that I always ask. And most of the time it's right. Most of the time it looks good. Every once in a while you find a paper that's kind of, eh, well. 
Well, you're going to have to wait for this one since it's in the publication process. It hasn't actually come out yet. Oh. Unless they put it on ArcSiv. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye on it. When it comes out, I'll take a look. Yep. You still have a couple of things left, don't you? Oh, I don't want to bring anything up. The only thing I had left I could have dropped in when we were talking about TV, which is just a stupid commercial. Um, I don't think I have anything left on there. No? I'm ready to wrap it up. What about the what about the dog detection AI stuff from last week? Uh, I didn't get the clips. I, it was oh, done. Okay. I, was, I was done with it already. Well, I'll talk about it if you All want. Right. The, uh, it was a guy who put together a um, dog detector. And so... <sighs> The bottom line is he downloaded a pre-trained um, image classification uh, library where they trained a, they trained a neural network to recognize, I forget what it was, just some number, it might have been in the hundreds of different objects. And the objects are just ordinary nouns like umbrella, shoe, person, and one of them was dog. And so they had, a, he said, well, you know, I can connect this to a webcam and I can say, hey, if you detect a dog, then play a sound through uh, through a speaker. And so he had the speaker pointing out of his <laughs> the speaker pointing out of his apartment. And so he said, yeah, when a dog when someone goes by and they have a dog, then it plays a, a sound clip of me saying, hey, you got a nice dog or something stupid like that. <laughs> it's just absolutely asinine. Uh, but it was fun. The. Uh, the video is what you need to watch. It didn't really work on audio, but it was a fun story. The dog detector. Yeah. Well, we're definitely going to stick the video in the show notes, and I just put it into the chat room as well. Oh, yeah, the dog detector to make me feel better. Oh, uh, yeah, that was it. I like dogs. When I see a dog, I get happy. So I want to find out when there's a dog outside. Well, looking for dogs outside my apartment. I've been Abel Kirby. And I've been cold acid. Catch later, later, folks. I had a good woman. But she laid down, honey, and died. Oh, I had a good woman. But she laid down and died. Don't you know everybody tell me she wasn't sad?